So God called Saul, who became Paul, in a most dramatic way. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Uh, Mary, the angel came to Mary and uh, said, Behold the bond, and she, she responded to what the angel said, that you're going to conceive and so on. And uh, she said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So there was an impartation of life and understanding uh, through an angelic visitation. Now probably most of us have never had an angel come to us. Maybe some of us have. Personally, I've never seen an angel as we would see one another. Uh, Shirley hasn't. Has anyone ever seen an angel face to face? We've known people who have. Um, missionaries who have. In fact, there's a lady in this community who was a missionary. It was in Africa, wasn't it? And uh, anyway, she was protected, she believes, by an angel. On two occasions that, that we know of, one, she, she was a, um, a dog lover. How did that go, Cheryl? This, she had this dog with her. A dog appeared, a big, big dog. Yep. That she should be afraid of. Yes. And suddenly this huge dog appeared yes. next to her. And she knew she was safe, that the Lord had come in the form of a dog. Yes. And took her right through, and they looked at that dog and didn't touch it. Yeah. It was quite and then amazing. on another occasion, she and another missionary were in their home. They were in a, they were in a house. Yes. They were in a house, and they heard the people coming who were just going from house to house and killing everybody. And they just went right past their house. It's like they didn't see the house. Yes. It was quite amazing. But later they discovered that the people didn't touch the house because there were men in white That's right. around That's the house. That's right, and they asked her who they were. That's right. Yeah, who were the men around the house. So um, it's kind of nice to have an angelic visitation, right? But often those visitations take place in a time of crisis when there's great need. There really is. I was um, in the States, North Carolina, years ago, um, up near Moravian Falls. The whole area was settled by Moravian believers many years before. And um, I stayed in a, in a small cabin and sometimes on occasion visitors had been visited by an angel in that cabin. In fact, when the owners came onto the property and took the property initially, uh, an angel appeared in the form of uh, you know, a believer as they were dressed a couple hundred years ago, whatever and said, we've been waiting for you to come. And the ministry has started in that area. But um, there was this guy that came and stayed in this cabin, and an angel came to him and visited him in the night, had quite an experience. So here I am staying in this cabin, wondering if I was going to be visited by an angel. <laughs> but uh, no angel came to me. So <clears throat> We know another man, we know different ones that have been protected by angels in times of crisis, in times of war in times where people um, are being killed. And even with, the, um, with um, Moses, we know maybe Moses' story, how when people were being killed, as, you know, they were going through the jungle, someone came and took them aside and around where the danger was. I thought to myself, I wonder if that person who was a stranger could have been an angel. That's when they kind of show up, when there's a real, real need or God wants to communicate something. So God speaks in different ways. 
Um, years ago, I was in a house church conference in Dallas, Texas, and I was the only speaker in that conference that wasn't involved directly in the house church movement. But there were some leaders, including a missionary, uh, an American missionary, who was raised in, um, in, in the East. His parents were missionaries as well. He came back to America for university education, but was back there as a missionary. And he working with the house church leaders, and of course it's all in secret. And he said the day would start at 5 o'clock in the morning over a number of days with these leaders, meeting in secret, and would finish at 11 o'clock at night. So how would you like your day to start at 5 o'clock with a prayer meeting? Go right through and finish at 11 o'clock at night. Anyway, this particular uh, evening, I believe it was, uh, as he was speaking, he felt God impress his heart that there was someone here who had a call to go to Myanmar, which we know as formally as Burma. Um, and he said, I believe there's someone here who has a call to Myanmar. Who are you? But no one responded. Carried on preaching, but that impression uh, continued. And he again said, I believe there's someone here and God is calling you to Myanmar. Who are you? No response. The time went on and he said again, I believe God is calling someone to go to Myanmar. Who is that person? And a lady raised her hand and she was a medical doctor. And she had God had been speaking to her about going to Myanmar. Well, sometimes if God calls us to go somewhere or to be a missionary, years can go by before that's actually fulfilled and there's nothing wrong with that. Preparation's involved. But we hear of God pouring out a spirit in nations where there's a lot of persecution and miraculous things happening. And I believe one of the reasons is because when God speaks, they, they obey. Anyway, it was now 11 o'clock at night and this uh, European, American church leader uh, was so tired he just went in the corner and just fell asleep. Well, he was awakened, of course, 5 o'clock in the morning because it was the beginning of the new day for prayer. And that lady was not there. And uh, he said, where is she? Oh, she's on her way to Myanmar. Some of us took her down to the bus station. We took up an offering and we got enough money for her to get a, a, a bus pass uh, one way. We took her down to the bus station. She's already on her way to Myanmar. She's within just a few hours. I don't know how she managed that as a medical doctor, what responsibilities she may have had, but that's the story and I, I believe that story. But talk about obedience. huh? Wow. But God called uh, that lady. She just knew in her heart maybe for some time that that call had been there because God speaks and he draws and he calls. Um, God calls us when we're young. He calls us when we're small. Have you ever shared how you became a Christian, Shirley? <laughs> Shirley's one of uh, 11 children. Um that lived, there were two, one was born, stillborn, one died at 18 months, but her mother was only going to have three. So just imagine the digit three, if I can draw it backwards. Can you see it? Can you picture it now? Three. But one more came along. One, three, <laughs> 13 children. Um, half of them have been in full-time ministry over the years, Shirley's included in that, in that half. Um, but So she was raised in a wonderful Christian family, and obviously there was a lot of prayer for the children. 
want to tell your story, how you became a believer? I'm putting you on the spot. The interesting thing was I found the Lord when I was in Sunday school. Somebody else, apart from the family, asked who would like to have Jesus in their hearts. And that's when I was about four or five. And that's when I asked him to come and take over my life. As a little girl, I've never stepped back from that. Hmm. Never. But tell us more. Being one of 11, it was a big house, a lot of noise, a lot of activity. And she woke up one night. Uh, she shared a bedroom with Mary, one of her sisters. And uh, it was very quiet. And she thought, the Lord has come. Because this was a, um, a Plymouth Brethren church that spoke a lot about the second coming of Jesus. So, yeah, I happened? was sure because it was quiet, and that's very unusual for our household. <laughs> <laughs> I was told that I was a very bad child, that there was three fights going in the family at one time, and I started all of them. <laughs> of course, I don't believe that, but. <clears throat> And I used to think I was the favourite. Oh, sorry. I used to think I was the favourite because my mum would get me sit next to her as she was preparing the vegetables. Until I was older, I thought, no, she's getting me out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But then I'm the one that's called away from New Zealand. You see, God knows what he's doing. Now, what was I meant to say? Yeah, you thought oh, the Lord yes. had come. <clears throat> so I woke in the night. I had two other sisters in the same bedroom, three of us. And I thought, oh. Had the fear in my heart that I wasn't ready to meet God. <laughs> then maybe that was the Sunday before I did it. I don't know. And I ran. I thought, I don't know if my sisters are right with God. I'm sure they're not, and like me. <laughs> so I went to my parents' bedroom. I can still see myself. I was so small. My head was just above the mattress, and I could see the bumps and the relief in my heart. Jesus hasn't come. I've not missed out after yeah. all. <laughs> so God used that to prepare her. I need to give my life to the Lord. But even though she had that experience, it wasn't until someone gave her the opportunity in Sunday school. And so I think it's important that we, I do this in, in meetings like this, you know that, challenge people, do you know Jesus? If not, are you willing to follow him? And, uh, but the same with children. People need that invitation, that opportunity. And if it doesn't happen in Sunday school, maybe it can happen as a parent with our children at home or a child at home at a particular time. It's one thing to know about Jesus. <clears throat> it's another thing to know him. Shirley knew about Jesus. Wonderful Christian family. Devotions at the table. The father would um, read a Bible story every night. Um, oh, sorry, tell it. He would tell it. <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't there, so I got that wrong. He would, <laughs> he would tell it. And so lots of words. She knew about Jesus, but she did not know him. She had never invited him into her life. And maybe that could be the same with you. You know about Jesus, but you've never welcomed him into your life to be the king of your heart. Uh, you can do that today. You can do that today. God calls. John 6.44 Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So God calls and God draws. We know a man <coughs> who died tragically um, a few years back in this area. He was raised in a Christian family. 
but he said no to Jesus all through the years. And he would say, <coughs> before I die, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Well, none of us can guarantee that we're going to have that opportunity. But one reason is if we keep saying no, no, no to God, our hearts can become hardened. And I don't know whether he did give his life to Jesus, but he was involved in an accident when his truck went over uh, the mountainside, Mount Arrowsmith. And uh, he died in the parking lot at the, uh, well, uh, you know, in the grounds of the Port Alberni Hospital when the ambulance came out and got him. I don't know if he gave his life to the Lord. We just can't come when we find it convenient to come. We need to come when God's speaking to us. It's really, really important. We say, yes, Lord, as he draws us. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. Well, how were people called? Well, we see in John uh, chapter 1, even through the video, uh, God speaking through others and, and Jesus speaking by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he got Nathaniel's attention because by revelation he said something that normally a person wouldn't know. Touched the heart. Uh, Moses, supernatural fire in an audible voice saw that light, that supernatural light and an audible voice and of course he was struck blind as well for a season. Mary, an angelic visitation. We met a lady once in Papua New Guinea. Um, Shirley and I were visiting mission stations from our church in Australia and we met this lady um, who <coughs> not long before had had a baby and one year, or yeah, one year before she had this child, an angel came and said to her, you are going to have a child this time next year and you are to call the child and told the, mother, told the mother to be the name of the child. Well, I don't know how many of you as mothers have had an angel come and say that to you, but this was a people um, very attuned to the spirit world. Papua New Guinea is a land where there's much, much witchcraft, a um, lot of darkness, but also probably has more missionaries per capita than maybe any country in the world. There were so many language groups and so many missionaries have gone there over the years. And and uh, where we were was the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon this community. Uh, signs and wonders and miracles. Um, and so a church was formed. People came to know Jesus, but they had no one to help them, no one to teach them, and they called out for help. And we had a mission work in Papua New Guinea from the church we were involved with in Australia. And so we sent missionaries in to care for these people and to train them and, and start a Bible school and things like this. Um, so if people got sick, they prayed for them. People got healed. Uh, I've been in the home of one of the elders. Just a bamboo structure. In, and the floor was just bamboo you know, and, and you can see the dirt beneath. Um, nothing in the house, uh, no clothes, nothing. Uh, men would have a pair of shorts and a shirt, that, that would be all they would have. They'd go bare feet. They lived very, very simply, had very, very little in the way of material things, but talk about spiritual awareness of both realms, the, the demonic, of course, but also God's realm because God poured out a spirit upon that people group. Just amazing, amazing Amazing. Now, why am I saying all that? I wasn't going to say that. But angels. Uh, we may not have seen an angel, but God speaks today. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 9 to 10, Paul's Macedonian call, a night vision. 
A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I've read this many times, and you may have as well, but many Muslim people are coming to Jesus today. Many Iranian people are coming, and they have been for years. Not only people living, Iranians living in Iran, but Iranians that have been scattered to other nations, many of them are coming into faith. And 80% of them are coming to know Jesus through visions and dreams. God speaking to them in a supernatural way. Uh, it's, uh, the the um, Islamic culture is very open. They, they accept dreams. That's why God's speaking particularly to that people that way because they, they will receive that. But isn't that wonderful? God calling people um, to himself through dreams in the night or through a vision. Then, of course, through preaching of the gospel, Romans 10, 13 to 15, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news uh, of good things. And then, of course, many people just become believers through reading the written word. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But whether it's the preaching of the word, whether it's for a dream, whatever, it's the Holy Spirit who's drawing people, uh, who's empowering people to preach the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken up to heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Um, Luke chapter 8, 4 to 15, talks about the parable of the sower. I find that a very encouraging story because it talks about four different types of soil in which the seed was sown and four different responses to the seed. But Jesus wasn't just telling a story about natural earth. He was talking about human hearts. And the seed of God's word being scattered and touching the hearts. Um, there was the roadside seed. And of course, the roadside would be trampled, would be hardened through the feet of people walking on that pathway. So some of the seeds fell on the, on the pathway, the hardened heart, and Jesus said what this was. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So as we share the gospel with others, there are going to be those that will receive the seed or hear, hear the word, but there's a hardness and they turn away. Then some of the seed will fall onto rocky soil that can be likened to the shallow heart. And Jesus said, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So again, he's speaking about the condition of human hearts. God is calling, God is calling, God is calling. He's calling all over the world for people to come to him. But there are different responses depending on the condition of people's hearts. 
And then there's the thorny ground, which we can liken to the cluttered heart. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Choked with worries, riches, the pleasures of this life. Sometimes I think about this. My parents grew up with very little materially. Um, they went through that Second World War. We live in a day, those of us who are younger, we don't realise what a former generation didn't have. We have so much today, do we not? So much. Uh, ease of travel. I took my son, my older son, to Comox Airport this morning to fly out at 8 o'clock. <coughs> um, oh, he'll be in Alberta now. Calgary, I think it's minus 29 at the moment, so he can have that. <laughs> um, but ease of travel roads, highways it's, it's not a hardship if we have a vehicle to get around uh, the material things that we can have and we can enjoy we are blessed but these things were not the case just a few years ago and for those of you who are younger I mean look in my home it was a typical New Zealand home we didn't have a refrigerator my parents couldn't afford one we didn't have a washing machine my parents couldn't afford one didn't have a motor car my parents couldn't afford one we had to walk everywhere or we bicycled everywhere. Now, that was normal. And if you wanted a new car, because this was after the Second World War, you had to put an order in and wait two to three years before you could get a new car. They had to be imported from overseas. But today, no problem. You got the money. Oh, we've got the sale. Uh, plenty of places to buy vehicles good roads to drive on and so on and so on and so on and so on. But these things weren't always that way. And I've said to our children when they were growing up, what you accept as normal today was not normal when mum and I grew up. But God's calling. Different generations, God is calling, drawing people to himself. Uh, the good soil. Jesus likened to the fruitful heart. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And the Matthew account, Matthew 13 says, And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Different types of soil depicting different kinds of heart, or hearts. But God is wanting us to to be fruitful, to receive that word and to bring forth fruit. So it's not just a matter of just praying the sinner's prayer and just carrying on living as we've always lived. We may pray a sinner's prayer, but God wants us to continue, continue on walking with Jesus. So what are the consequences of obeying the call? Now there are many, of course, and many, many blessings to do with obeying the call. But one of them is persecution. Um, Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or fathers or children or farms for my name's sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions 
and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I was only just reading this week regarding persecution amongst the Christians. This article was saying that the Christians are the, the most persecuted group in the world today and named nations that were primarily Muslim-dominated nations, Egypt, Afghanistan, Somalia, Bahrain, Pakistan, Yemen, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, Kurdistan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. A lot of persecution in those countries um, through following Jesus. But we, we're fortunate to live in one of the most wonderful countries in the world, are we not? Uh, North America, people want to come here. We are truly, truly blessed. But there are many of our brothers and sisters who pay a price. And we have friends who are missionaries, and I won't name the country or countries because um, uh, if these messages get online, it can be very dangerous for them and those that they are uh, caring for. But they've been arrested, workers in prison, uh, workers gone to prison, not heard of again. These are Christian workers, full-time workers who love Jesus, who are paying a price even with their lives today. While we live in this land of just peace and plenty, we are blessed. We really, really, really are blessed. And we may not go to those countries, but uh, we can certainly pray for people in those countries as we and to give to enable uh, the church or the, those who are there serving uh, the, the means to be able to, to do what they need to do. So persecution is often uh, one of the things that happens. I could go further with that. Um, but what are some of the rewards of following the call of God? Uh, Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, that's good news for some, <laughs> very good news, but it's very bad news for others who have not been following Jesus. Romans 14, 12, Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, speaking of believers, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So as believers, we have an appointment coming with Jesus. And I don't know how it's going to be, but maybe it will just be a, a look from the eyes of Jesus and suddenly our life will just flash before us and we're going to realize whether what we've been doing or building in our life has been based on Jesus, the solid rock, or are we, is it just going to be as wood, hay, and stubble? 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, another, another is building on it. But each man must be careful of how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. When I became a Christian, the moment I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was like 
the awareness of eternity was stamped upon my heart. Well, it was already there. <laughs> um, God has put eternity in our hearts, the reality of eternity. But suddenly, my eyes were opened and I could see like I had never seen before. And a fear of God came on my life. In fact, it came on the weeks before I became a Christian. That's what drew me to the Lord. A fear of God, a fear of dying and not being ready to meet God. Eternity. And so every day for 55 years, whatever it might be, that's a long time, youngsters, isn't it? 55 years. Oh, oh. Um, but I've endeavoured to live in the light of the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. It's not a, a wrong fear, but it's a good, healthy fear. There are things I could have done, I have not done. Places I could have gone, I have not gone. Why? Because the fear of God has kept me, keeps us from evil, keeps us walking in the light. How we need the fear of the Lord. And it said of Jesus and Isaiah, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That's a good, healthy fear. But being made aware of the reality of eternity in a new way and of accountability, I have endeavoured by God's grace to live a life that would be pleasing to him. Let me just uh, read a story and I've got a few thoughts about eternity because next Sunday I'm going to be speaking. I've been asked to speak in the church on eternity. So I'll just give you the... Uh, the opening thoughts I have, which I find very interesting. Uh, the parable of the dinner, Luke chapter 14, 16 to 24. Uh, but he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please have me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife and for this reason I cannot come. Opportunity was given, a call was given, but excuses, 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 excuses. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, but there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Just um, thinking of that saying, you've probably heard it, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, just a few thoughts about what I'm going to open up with next Sunday where I'm going to be speaking. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. God's calling us not only to follow him in time, not only to be fruitful in time, but God's calling us for an eternal calling, an eternal purpose. It's like this world is just... Um, it's like a womb. That's what Jonathan Kahn sang in one of his daily devotions. Um, a little child is being prepared, formed in the womb to live in this world. 
we are being prepared to live in another world, the world that is to come. Uh, I've been to Jamaica a few times and a um, very religious nation. In fact, today being Sunday, 80% of Jamaicans will attend church. 80% of Jamaicans. Very religious. Go to shopping malls, you can hear Christian music being played. Religious, religious, religious. And yet the murder rate is excessive for the size of the population. It's incredible, the stuff that goes on there. So obviously many people are professing Christians, but not real Christians, um, because of the statistics of what happens in the land, the violence and so on and so on. So you see road signs there that you wouldn't see in Canada. Uh, protect your head, big, big billboards. Don't end up dead. Uh, want to spend time with your family? Speed kills. But the one I liked the most of all that I saw, uh, don't be in a hurry to enter eternity. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Can you imagine a big billboard in Canada with that on? People would say, what is, what's going on? What does that mean? But being a religious nation, people who go to church, believe in Jesus up here, they can relate to that. Don't be in a hurry to enter eternity. So uh, just let me read a few statements that are not original, but I really like them. Time and eternity. Eternity is not merely the endless extension of time. Eternity differs in nature from time. Eternity is an altogether different realm, a different mode of being. Eternity is God's mode of being, the realm in which God himself dwells, the uncreated realm in which God himself exists. Out of eternity, by the act or process of creation, God brought into being the present world and with it the order of time as we know it, past, present and future. By another divine act, God will one day bring the present world order to an end and with it, time as we know it, will once again cease to be. Time is directly and inseparably related to our present world order. With this world order, time came into being and with this world order, time will once again cease to be. Within the limits of this present world order, all creatures are subject to the processes of time. Time is one factor in man's total experience which he has no power to change. All men in this world are creatures and slaves of time. No man has the power to arrest the course of time nor to reverse it. The Bible reveals that for the present world order as a whole, the end of time will come at a moment predetermined by God. However, there is a sense in which every individual, even now, must bow before this divine edict that time shall end. A moment lies ahead for each one of us when time shall be no longer. A moment when each of us shall come to the end of time's course and step out of time into eternity. For each man individually there comes an hour when the hands of the clock stand still, a moment when time ceases and eternity begins. Let me conclude with my own testimony. When I share my testimony, I talk about as a young man, I was just on my 21st birthday, I responded to Jesus Christ and yielded my life to him, not just as Saviour, but as Lord and Saviour. And it was a life-changing experience. It was like a light was turned on on the inside. 
It was like a, a weight lifted off me. I just knew I had passed out of death into life. I just knew I had received the gift of eternal life and I have never doubted it for one moment in decades. But really, if I was to take the time, I'd go back to when I was five years of age. In New Zealand, Christmas is summertime and on many of the beaches, Christians uh, have programs, uh, put out a, a mat on the sand or this case was a tent. And I remember going into this gospel tent as a five-year-old and I remember coming out, my mother was waiting for me. And I tried to explain to my mother something happened to me in that tent. And looking back now from the perspective of being, you know, walking with God as an adult, I realized I had heard the gospel as a five-year-old boy and I had said yes to what I heard. And I came out knowing something was different. I tried to explain to my mother, but I couldn't. Well, not being raised in an evangelical background, a church family, but not an evangelical home. We never talked about God. We never read the Bible together. We didn't pray uh, except a grace over a meal. Um, I remember again when I was 12 years of age, I went to a congregational church because I had a visiting minister who was a singer. And I was touched deeply by his singing. It was just the old-fashioned gospel singing. And I went back a second night. I think he was there two nights. But I remember going home and lying on my bed and weeping. Something had touched my heart. And looking back now, I understand God was calling me. God was calling me. God was calling me. But again, I'm not blaming anyone else but myself, but in the setting I was in, the church I attended, there was no talking about knowing God personally, no, no help to, to follow God. I remember as a teenager being at a Christian camp, an evangelical camp, and again my heart was touched. And one of the songs we sung a lot was, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, you know how great thou art. Now, we were out in the country near a beach, and looking up at night and the sky was so clear because we were so far from any, any community. And I realized now, well I, kn I knew then, but I realized now that God was again drawing me, calling me to himself. And then there came the time when I gave my life to Jesus in a Youth for Christ meeting. But prior to that, weeks prior to that, I was under great conviction of sin. I just knew that if I was to die, I was going to go to hell. And I was never taught that in my church background. I was told I was going to heaven because I'd been sprinkled with some water as a little baby. That was my background. But I just knew I wasn't ready to meet God. I just knew I needed to be forgiven, but I didn't know how to be forgiven. Now I remember going into an Anglican church near my home three times over a few days and prayed to God to forgive me my sins. I was the only person in the church building. And on the third occasion, I actually prostrated myself on the floor I said, oh God, please forgive me my sins. I'll do anything if you'll only forgive my, me my sins. And knowing that missionaries were good people that were sent out to help people in other lands, I said, oh God, I'll even be a missionary if you'll only forgive me my sins. I was kind of trying to twist God's arm. Well, God was preparing me to once again hear the gospel and this time to truly heed his call. In the local newspaper, in the opera house, there was a series of meetings with a Youth for Christ team from America. And the leader of the team, the evangelist, had been a big dance band leader in Detroit. He played the trumpet. His wife 
uh, was an excellent musician. She had the gift of perfect pitch. And I was attracted by that youth, went along to hear the musical program. I was playing in a big dance band. I wanted to be a big dance band leader at that particular time. And uh, here's the man who'd left it all to serve Jesus. I was already under conviction because I, I, I knew God was calling me, but I didn't know how to get right with God. And as that guy preached that night, he spoke on the second coming of Jesus Christ, a subject I'd never heard anyone talk about before. I knew that Jesus had come the first time, but didn't know the Bible said he was coming a second time. And as I was hearing him preach, tremendous battle was taking place on the inside. And I just felt God saying to me, if you say no this time, you will never have the opportunity again to do so, to say yes. It was an extremely serious night for me. But there was a voice speaking to me, strong and clear. Don't be a fool, Graham. Don't be a fool. If you become a Christian, you'll have to live by a big set of rules. You can't do this, you can't do that. You can't do this, you can't do that. I didn't want that. I felt God say to me, you've heard the truth tonight. You can say yes, you can say no. But remember, there is judgment to come. When Jesus comes again, it's wonderful news for the believer, but it's not good news for the unbeliever. And as he was still preaching, I lifted my heart to God who seemed so far away and I prayed a simple prayer from my heart. Dear God, please forgive me all of my sins. Jesus, take over my life. It's yours. And that was a wholehearted surrender. It wasn't just praying a little prayer to get some pressure off my back from somebody. No, this was something I did. I was having an encounter with God. God had started calling me as a five-year-old, maybe earlier, as a 12-year-old, as a 15-year-old, and now as a young adult. I felt that call again, but I felt no fooling around. You've got to do something this time, otherwise you may never have the opportunity again. And I'm so glad that by God's enabling, I said, yes, Jesus, take over my life, it's yours. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Well, I kind of bringing a challenge this morning, aren't I? Well, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's God. Well, it is God, of course. We may say we're Christians, but are we truly following Jesus? We may be a, a young person in a Christian family, but do we know him personally? It's not a matter of just praying a prayer. It's a matter of choosing a different kind of life, a whole new way of living where Jesus is first in our lives. He becomes the king of our hearts. He becomes our Lord, our master. <coughs> and we commit every day and our entire future, Lord, I choose your will for my life. I'm no longer living for myself. I'm no longer choosing to live uh, the ways of this world. I'm choosing to be separated from the sin and from darkness. I want to please you with your help. I want to follow you and please you, Jesus. Shirley prayed a prayer as a little four or five-year-old. It was non-dramatic, but it came from her heart. And it was so, such a real encounter that she's never spent one day what we call living in the world. She's followed Jesus and she's kept on following him. But it started when she was four. For me, I was around 21 years of age. 
I prayed a prayer from my heart. My encounter with Jesus was dramatic. I mean, I used to curse him before that. I was just a man of the world. But I had a life-changing encounter. God was calling me. I responded to that call and it was life-changing as well. There's a song we used to sing, He's Only a Prayer Away. Whether you pray that prayer now, you pray it alone, private, God is only a prayer away. If you need someone to help you today to pray that prayer, please just linger. Come forward after the meeting and while we're having a cup of tea and things, come forward and say, can I talk to you? You may want to talk to Shirley. But if you're not sure that your sins have been forgiven, if you're not sure that Jesus has come into your life, settle it today. Don't, don't leave it any longer. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. God is wanting us to come to him. He's got a whole new way of life for us to experience. So you know how to pray. As I prayed those years ago, dear God, please forgive me all of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Take over my life. It's yours. You can pray those words from your heart. But if you need someone to talk to, talk to one of your friends, talk to a father or mother, talk to Shirley or myself, talk to Pastor Lauren, uh, we just, we'd be delighted to talk to you. Okay? Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are calling people all over the world today, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. You are drawing people to yourself, giving people the opportunity of saying yes to Jesus, giving people the opportunity of choosing a new kind of life. Help us to hear your voice. And Lord, please help us to say yes to you, not just today, but every day of our lives. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you speak today. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.